Hi there, and welcome to the Crypto Frontier. I'm Jonathan Miller, Managing Director of Kraken Australia, and I'm glad you could join me out here on the Crypto Frontier. On this show, you'll hear from the industry's best and brightest about the latest news in crypto markets and industry from Australia and around the world. Tune in fortnightly to gather the latest insights and data to power your trading, whether you haven't yet bought your first Bitcoin or want to better understand the latest DeFi token. This show will explore the latest in market data trends and go behind the scenes and explore the technology that powers what we call the future of finance. Okay, so each week we take a look at some recent news in crypto. So let's have a look at this week. Commercial adoption of crypto continues to grow with the US-based bill-splitting platform Venmo, a subsidiary of PayPal, allowing its 70 million users globally to purchase cryptocurrency. Time Magazine and WeWork have also announced that they will begin accepting crypto as a form of payment. This follows Tesla's announcement that they'll accept Bitcoin for Tesla car orders. Digital asset custody firm BitGo expanded its cold storage insurance program to $700 million. The California-based custodian previously had $100 million in cover for all customers using its platform, with an option for clients to top up their insurance by purchasing their own dedicated limits. Shows you how quickly that space is growing. And finally, the U.S. House of Representatives passed several pieces of bipartisan legislation today, including a section which seeks to set out a digital asset working group with representatives from the SEC and the CFTC to ensure collaboration between regulators and the private sector in order to foster innovation. Now I'd like to introduce my guest for the show, Michael Bettina, a partner at Piper Alderman in Australia. We're going to talk about NFTs. Michael, look, thanks very much for joining me, uh, and, and I'm really excited about uh, talking, you know, through these ideas with you. You come uh, loaded with a wealth of experience uh, in crypto in general, and where I would like to start is with a super hot topic of NFTs or non-fungible tokens. You know, are these things just glorified serial numbers, or can they represent something a bit more? Well, first of all, Jonathan, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I appreciate um, you taking giving me the opportunity to come on. NFTs are one of the things that I'm most excited about in the blockchain space at the moment, they've really been um, ticking away in the background for a while and then exploded forward uh, in really recent months. Everyone's heard of the Beeple sale and a lot of people have been very confused about why anyone would pay money for a uh, digital representation of something that they could copy and paste. And of course, people are saying, well, you could copy and paste the Mona Lisa, but it doesn't mean you own the original. Uh, and having a sister as well, who's a, uh, relatively famous street artist based out of Mexico and New York. Her name is Vexta. If any of the listeners want to look up her excellent art, um, I'm very interested in how artists can take advantage of technology to change their economic models. Uh, but NFTs go so far beyond that because really a lot of the supply chain ideas around blockchain and DLT come back to NFT style issues. And that, I think, as you mentioned, uh, are they just a barcode for, for certainly for supply chain? We see that the unique tokens being issued for unique goods, which will be effectively everywhere in 10 to 15 years, every single shop, every single supply chain is going to be tracking products at an item level. Uh, And you can already see this happening in a non-blockchain way. There's a brand called Thank You, which sells um, shampoo and body wash and whatnot. And each of the bottles has a little code on the back so that you can see um, what proportion of the profits of that bottle the company say they've. Uh, donated or sent on to help in developing nations. You can punch in that code on a website. 
and obviously see what they're doing with it and feel good about helping out. But that, of course, is centralized and relies upon um, their centralized system working, but moving to systems where that tra traceability is not just about uh, where the proceeds going, but where that good came from in the first place uh, is really important. But in the NFT space, it's super valuable. Um, I always give the example when people don't understand the art NFT of Fortnite, the wildly successful online game that my children play, uh, where you can you know buy little hats or outfits for for characters. But if the if your kids ever end up stop playing the game, whatever they've spent on these little in-game assets is gone. So that money's just forever gone to. Uh, Epic, the developer of Fortnite, who makes a ton of money from it, which is great for them and their shareholders, but not so great for some poor parent like me who's ultimately paying for my children's gaming uh, digital hat habits. But being able to then, of course, sell these digital assets that are purchased in-game is a big deal. So games like Axie Infinity, where you're playing with, with NFTs, um, and some amazing things like the Gods Unchained games from the Immutable and Fuel Games Boys is um, really impressive uses of NFTs that create a whole new value paradigm for players. And they're a lot easier for people to get their head around in terms of what is the NFT, why does it matter? Because being able to finish playing a game and, and say, I'm done, I don't want this anymore, I'm now going to sell it. It's akin to being collecting um, you know, baseball cards or Magic the Gathering cards or some kind of collectible card. And when you decide you don't want to play with this anymore, you might keep it in a drawer and see if it ever sells for something later, or you might want to pass it on to someone else or sell it, but without having to rely upon the, the game itself to keep in existence. We haven't seen any models come out yet where a rival game is creating a use for another game's NFTs, but I suspect we're going to see that soon and see some interesting uh, deployments where someone will issue some NFTs and someone else will figure out a way to use them in an interesting way that the first people didn't consider and then rely upon those as a, as a bit of leverage. But it, again, it's another interesting value opportunity that the market will decide what will what will succeed and what won't. I, I, I love that you've brought, um, I guess, uh, you know, gaming into the conversation and also the idea of economic models because what, one thing that is absolutely certain is that there's, there are new economic models being uh, kind of uh, blossoming out of the technology, the underlying technology, and whether you view it as a serial number or something far better than that, depends on how you use it. So, you know, there are existing markets for collectibles. There are existing, and, and not to uh, diminish the gaming world, it's definitely, it's a huge marketplace. And so, you know, these the, the, the scope for the use of NFTs just in these arenas alone is massive. But have you seen, and, and do you see outside of this um, world, outside of the, I guess, the gaming world, uh, adoption of NFTs as representation of digital rights, perhaps beyond just ownership of a digital asset, but perhaps ownership in, in, in the copyright of that asset? Well, I think that's something that's rapidly coming. So uh, many of your listeners may have, or may not, depending on how, how across they are on NFTs, may have seen the news of Kings of Leon, a very um, famous band, who has released their latest album with an NFT version. And these are really cool, interesting perks that previously just couldn't be done effectively. So uh, the NFT version is, I, I believe um, it's been on sale and they did a two-week sale at the start of March. And uh, the initial pricing was 50 US dollars for the token. It had a bunch of enhanced media. So they had like a moving album cover, which was really cool. Uh, the digital download of the album, limited edition vinyl. Um, but really interesting, the NFT becomes a collectible after the initial sale because it's quite limited. So once upon a time, people tried to get those first pressing of vinyls. But here, they've effectively made the first pressing of a digital vinyl, if you will, for those big fans of the band to come and collect. But 
Um, they also um, did, did a really interesting twist of, uh, as part of that release, 18 golden ticket NFTs, where six of those 18 will be auctioned off and the other 12 will be vaulted to see if they'll gain in value later on. And each of them ha- is, a, is a tied into some special Kings of Leon artwork, which is really cool. And each of these golden tickets is also coming with the band promising a guaranteed front row seat to any Kings of Leon concert during each tour for life. So it's really a Willy Wonka golden ticket, right? So this kind of really interesting model of saying, we're going to give you this digital thing that's going to give you front row seat for life if you um, if you want to come in and, and, and auction for it is a reminds me of the you know airlines that did fly for um, a subscription back way back in the eighties that a few people took advantage of that quite quite massively. Well, but it's, here, it's a long term ride, isn't it? That's it's right. Something that it persists over time and essentially has value that might vary. Over Huge time value, potentially increase, right? That's right, because they're saying as long as we tour. If you are one of these token holders, the golden ticket holder, you'll get a personal driver, concierge at the show, hang out with the band and lounge access, and we'll give you stuff from the merch booth every time you come to our show. So they are forward selling an incredible opportunity. So um, those kinds of interesting value adds, and I've been discussing with my sister, Vexter, how she might do an NFT. And, you know, we haven't settled on some ideas around that, but for, for artists selling art who aren't comfortable just selling a pure digital form, they might look at things like, this token could be redeemed for an actual print so that if someone wants to buy and says, look, I'm not, I don't want the actual print right now or I'm living overseas and I'll get it when I come back, they don't have to commit to something and worry about storage costs because the artist can take care of that. Or it might be something to say, similar kind of idea, buy an NFT of um, this limited edition print and my next show in your city you'll get priority invitation to, et cetera, et cetera. So these are very rapidly moving, my view, towards this loyalty-blended approach for brands where they can look to segment the very um, you know, high engagement uh, fans that they have who are really happy to get this extra stuff and are very happy to pay for it and see a lot of value in doing it and unlock value for the artists themselves. Now, Kings of Leon are, um, by any accounts, fairly successful and therefore fairly wealthy, but NFTs level the playing field in a massive way because anyone can go and mint one. Um, and I think... I forget who said it, but you know, a bit of a saying of all you need now is a thousand dedicated fans and you can be a successful content creator is becoming more and more true. Or I suppose they called it the long tail a while ago on the internet to say many people would be able to enter into these long tail uh, marketing and economic arrangements where they're really targeting a small segment of the market who love what they do, but traditionally were very, very hard to find and market to, but because the internet was supposedly going to help you market to those people and hasn't quite turned out that way but i think nfts really create an opportunity for that because they can work their way around the internet to find those people not necessarily off an initial marketing point but if someone's overseas it's a lot easier for them to get involved and have a digital thing to purchase than if they have to be in the country to go and buy a physical piece of art um, or something like that And, and the whole gaming thing is just an amazing support to gaming products because now games involving nfts instead of just doing a pre-sale of the game for beta access they can do things like you will get a piece of digital property that you will own that's an in-game um, item. And a lot of people as well, even you know, my generation and older, are like, why do people want these crazy digital hats and digital skins in-game? But they're wildly popular. And um, the kids who play today and the teenagers and millennials and whatnot, they really find value in these things. And they are kind of cool. Um, and that's really great. So a whole bunch of people don't understand these digital markets, but that's the same thing with streaming where people said once upon a time, 
Who would ever want a CD when they could have a vinyl? Who would ever want to download and stream music when you could have a physical piece of music and listen to it forever and, and Spotify could turn off the taps whenever they want about music? The reality is people love convenience and the convenience of having things like that. And we may see in the future things like a NFT that unlocks special songs on a streaming platform, which gives you like an extra level of membership or an extra thing that you can access. It's really a incredible opportunity of so many things that, that perhaps were too expensive to sell before or difficult to manage before that can be now managed in a really, really easy way. Because let's be, you know, on the, on the economic side, setting up some kind of loyalty program or maintaining a database of members or people is expensive. And so if you're going to do something that's going to last a long time, that costs money. Uh, and so you needed volume to be able to do it. You know, Qantas Frequent Flyer program costs Qantas an awful lot of money every year to run. But NFTs and blockchain in that in the way that it operates is out of the box registry services running in a very, very automated way. So NFTs plug into that very nicely to say, well, we barely, we don't even need to maintain much of a database. We just need to know that if you can cryptographically sign your NFT, you have these rights. Uh, and you mentioned from the legal enforceability side, uh, obviously there's a, the law always trails technology. And so having um, the right terms and conditions and contractual framework that sits behind it and you can dig in and have a look and see what Kings of Leon have done. Obviously, there is still a written contract that says if you were the buyer of the NFT and it's personal to you, um, you can have this, these benefits over time. And if someone wants to have in their arrangement, this is a way it can be transferred, which, of course, for NFTs, you, you kind of do um, so that people can move them around because they move around so easily. Then you can build into the contract as well. If you hold this NFT, here's all of your rights. So from a legal perspective, I think we're probably a long way off a court recognizing perhaps terms and conditions baked into an NFT and, and included in code, which the code is law school would love to have, you know, the total enforcement. We're still probably seeing for issues of notice of terms, needing to have separate terms and conditions that sit around an NFT, but they represent a level of automation, perhaps to the side of the legal enforceability, which is very, very good and may help avoid legal problems coming up. And a lot of contracts are really about dealing with edge cases of dispute and trying to stop them before they happen. So anything like an NFT, which can also help avoid fraud, help avoid disputes, is going to reduce the economic costs around the contracting friction that would otherwise exist. And that's not quite the law catching up, but it's certainly a practical reality that's very, very useful for people who want to get um, essentially run their businesses more effectively with greater level of automation. Look, there's definitely uh, you know a lot of arguments for the marginal efficiency that um, or, or radical efficiency, rather, that NFTs can bring to to not only the kind of issuance and registry of of ownership, but also then yeah to the enforceability uh, or, or the the kind of contractual uh, arrangements. I think there's the obvious two things that come to mind for me um, that, that 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 where this could be applied, and and one of those is uh, the novel way that um, artists and and other digital um, asset issuers can create marketplaces that are more automated and that can allow for participation uh, from multiple parties uh, at a much cheaper level. And the example, I think, you know, some of these um, NFT marketplaces where you have makers uh, participant to future upside of of, of um, sales in, in the long tail. So, you know, there's this is something that always was possible. You know, you could potentially um, create create legal agreements between buyers and sellers of art that that mean that future sales um, accrue 
or, or, or certain percentage of that sale would accrue to the, to the originating artist. Or, but they're so hard to enforce and so hard to manage and so costly to manage because it's contractual. But now you can, you can build that in to the mechanisms of the marketplace itself and using these, these tokens to, to represent those uh, transactions and to fundamentally facilitate them. So that's really interesting. That's right. And tying them into an original piece of art, there has been efforts to try and do those kinds of commission or, or little slice with the artist, particularly in Aboriginal art, for a while. And because you have situations that are tragic where original artists can be living almost in poverty while their artwork is selling for huge amounts of money because they've been bought in the first instance by someone um, for a very low price or, the, or there's been someone taking advantage of an, of an artist early. Of course, they would say, no, I'm just giving someone money because I've identified they're a great artist. It would be very interesting to see what will happen around also music and samples and the entirety of the intellectual property markets around that, as well as film rights and other things, particularly samples in music, because there's a lot of complicated arrangements that have come up over year with copyright clearances and releases and things like that, which are begging to go into NFT style arrangements so that people will be able to go out and, for example, sell and re or record themselves and sell drum sounds or other musical sounds to people in a way that's highly automated and other music makers will be able to access samples without going through very proprietary setups. There's a really interesting, I think it's NPR, did a podcast on it on a gentleman who came up with a drum beat set and has made a, a silly amount of money because no one else had done it. And he just sort of became the guy that you bought your drum samples from in the music world in America. But leveling the playing field so that you can go and anyone, almost anyone can go and do this and the best high quality samples will get out there and can be can be purchased is a really um, excellent way for, again, for artists and musicians to be supported. But the, And the legal part will just take a while to catch up on, um, but it will get there. It'll start with enforcements of traditional contracts with all the problems of international enforcement, unfortunately, that go with it. But a lot of it probably won't see the inside of courtrooms for a very long time other than in big arrangements. But I think that by the time it gets to that point, We'll have a lot of larger systems that are being used by sophisticated players to make things more efficient, and that's that's a net win for everyone. Absolutely, I think the the uh, you know the landscape for for uh, efficiency gain is is so large here that um, that that that's that's almost a, a kind of enough to to prove the the use case for NFTs, but it can go go so much deeper. Look, I did want to talk about. Um, another area with you, and I'm, I'm being very conscious of time here. So, so why don't I, I ask you one last question, which is, um, which is, you know, I, I guess related, which is, and you know, the novel use of, of blockchain technology to create uh, economic outcomes for people, um, and and how that fits into, I guess, our our, you know, general existing frameworks for for like be that legal or even economic, uh, and and that's on chain staking. Now, on chain staking is. Uh, for, for for listeners that you know don't know what that distinction is, they might have heard of staking uh, in general, which is a crypto term. But in, like specifically, I'm talking about the the act of putting your your coins. They might be in the, for example, in the forthcoming uh, Ethereum network uh, change to proof of stake, putting your coins at stake in that network as part of the uh, distributed <coughs> consensus model and uh, earning rewards for for that process transaction rewards, essentially being part of a, a mining pool in a way, but participating in the mining uh, for that underlying uh, protocol. So, you know, from your point of view, is that behaviour and that activity, is that a completely novel way to grow, uh, essentially to create yield, a yield-based product? 
I think it is, Jonathan. Um, I wouldn't describe it as a yield-based product, though, because, um, well, number one, it makes it sound like a financial product and it and ought not to be. Um, staking is fascinating because the, the kinds of staking that are being offered in blockchain systems are not an economic um, offering that has been able to be done otherwise. The closest you would get is effectively the analogy of a data center, except here in a lot of models, for example, proof, you know, running a node and having proof proof of stake sitting in there and having to have a machine operating, you would usually hire it from a data center and run the software on it. So from a legal perspective, when someone's running a node and one of the pre-qualifiers to run a node is to have funds staked into the node and then the node is being paid rewards for supporting the network and processing transactions, um, I conceptualize that as the payment is being made for the operation of the of the computing uh, the, the computing power which is being contributed to support the network itself, not a payment being made um, as some kind of return on the crypto which is locked into the or staked into the node. And that's for a simple reason that the crypto staked into the node isn't doing anything. It's not being deployed or invested elsewhere. It's just there as a key to unlock your right to provide computing power, and the payment is it should be characterized as for computing power. Um, and that, I think, is incredibly powerful because it enables anyone to join these networks and obtain these rewards. And while the end result may be that they feel like they're earning a, a yield on their crypto, they're in fact getting paid for doing something of economic value. Um, I think that models that involve um, staking where someone is being paid some kind of passive reward is a much more dangerous model, which has a lot more regulatory concerns around it because of the how, you know, at some point those things start to look like a term deposit or bank account. Uh, but again, obviously everything relies on the detail in there. But when you think about something like the Ethereum proof of stake model uh, or many other proof of stakes where you're simply providing that computing power to process transactions, those are fascinating uh, in incentivizing people to take part. They also get rid of the environmental sustainability uh, criticisms that come of Bitcoin. And it wouldn't surprise me in the future if eventually Bitcoin has some kind of discussions developing further on, shifting away from, from proof of work, even though the electricity arguments have a whole lot of problematic issues around them. And, and, and uh, I don't think it's anywhere near as serious as some people like to make out in terms of environmental damage when compared to things like the entire payment system and network of um, the, the what you might call the traditional world, which performs the same functions that the Bitcoin network does. I'm pretty sure that is uh, quite substantially more carbon intensive and electricity intensive than the Bitcoin network itself. However, it's incredibly difficult to measure that. So um, if you can't measure it easily, you can't compare it easily. However, these proof of stake models are amazing because they get rid of that problem um, but even if it's not a problem, they also just get rid of that cost. So if you can take out the equivalent of the electricity use of Spain out of a network like Bitcoin or a you know another even the traditional Ethereum proof of work and flip that into an incredibly low cost, low electricity usage, that's a net benefit for everyone. Anything which is cutting down the carbon usage and electricity usage is a win. Um, and so I think that's really important from an environmental perspective and an optics perspective for the digital currency and, and blockchain worlds, but also it's, it's sort of one of these triple wins where the network wins from having more people supporting it. Those who are staking their tokens in win because most of the time they're doing it with out-of-the-box solutions. So they're not likely to be a hostile operator, which brings in more honest nodes to help support the network. And it's an environmental win because the, the payment systems or transfer systems, which are being effectively operated by the network, are 
not causing the environmental challenges that you might call generation one blockchains were creating with the proof of work system. So a triple win is rare and we should embrace any kind of triple win like that. Well, I think the theme of today has been alternate economic opportunities. And, and that's what you get when you've got the green field of, of technology like that, like, like that which blockchain brings to, 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 our, um, to our environment. So I'm really excited about the opportunities that, that the technology provides and mainly the, the space for innovation. And we've seen that today. So thanks for sharing your insight. I, I think um, we'll have to come get you back on and we can talk about some of the more uh, complex definitely more financial use cases of, um, of of decentralized finance and staking in that context. But Michael, thanks so much for having for coming onto the show and for, for taking the time to, to talk, talk about this area. Thanks very much, Jonathan. I really appreciate you having me on.